Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. This is the Action Alex Podcast. You have just listened to the intro, and this is episode 5. We have officially been going for more than a month, and wow, does time fly when you're having fun. This has been great rides so far, and I'm very much looking forward to more. Today we are diving into the world of the 1980s Hong Kong action film, and we are kicking it off with a Yumbu, Cynthia Rothrock, Corey Yoon classic, Writing Wrongs. This is one of those films that I think everybody has seen some of the fight scenes for, especially if you're in the action community, but perhaps you haven't actually seen the full film itself. I know that I hadn't until I decided that I was going to track it down for one of the episodes, and I've had the DVD for a long time, but I've just never got around to watching it, so I had to track it down, which was a pain because it wasn't where I thought it was, but I did eventually find it, and I invited Andy Gorham to come on and talk to me about it. I thoroughly enjoyed watching this film, and I think you guys are going to enjoy the chat that we've had. To answer one of the obvious questions I think is going to follow, having, you know, put this film in the list, yes, there will be more Cynthia Rothrock films coming. I think Yes, Madam is an obvious one that I would absolutely love to do, and in time, I'm sure we will cover all of the greats. Some of these films are easier to find than others. One that I have never seen, for example, is Magic Crystal with Richard Norton and Cynthia Rothrock. And I don't know if I'll ever be able to grab that one, but I would love to do that one as an episode too. Cynthia Rothrock is one of those people that has a huge cult following, especially amongst action film fans. She was the queen of martial arts. She was also the queen of direct-to-VHS uh, films in the 1990s, but she definitely got a start in the 80s, and she was in so many good Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung, Yeonbyu flicks, and she had a few on her own, like, as I said, Yes Madam is one of them, where she stars with Michelle Yeoh, and she is just one of the best martial artists to ever grace the silver screen. She was so good in all of her sequences. It is a shame, sadly, that her American-made films that came afterwards, whilst they are very good, they never managed to have the same level of effect and power that the 80s films did, and they certainly don't have that same lasting appeal. Whilst I will be covering some of them, especially the ones that Vinegar Syndrome have released that are region-free, uh, unfortunately some of them are locked to the American region, some of them are not. Some of them can be played in anywhere, and I've got a couple of those uh, on the way, so I already know that there are going to be episodes far, far, far down the line. But I hope you guys enjoy this particular episode, and I hope that you guys are enjoying yourself. This week in real life, I actually watched The King's Man, and uh, that was actually pretty fun. I enjoyed that one. It's not going to be a full episode, at least not for a long time. I don't think I'm going to do a review of it. So if you haven't seen that one, I would say go out and see it. If uh, the second Kingsman film wasn't your cup of tea... This one is much more 
like the first one, and obviously it's a prequel, it's a completely different cast in a very different setting, and I think you'll enjoy it. So, later on down the line, like in another five or six episodes, you might also hear me make a reference to the King's Man again. So, if you're wondering how far apart my intros are from the episodes you're listening to, at the moment, they're about six episodes different. I am recording these things way faster than they're going out, so thankfully that means that there won't ever be a time where I won't have anything to put out. It's just a case of trying to keep on top of the editing, which uh, sometimes is easier said than done. But I'm going to hand you over to past me now, and he's going to fill you in on all of the lovely details. As when I did the Hydra episode, uh, there isn't really any box office information I can give you, and the plot of the film... eh, I, we kind of get into it in the talk, which is why I, I don't want to just sort of waste everybody's time by repeating myself. But yeah, this is an absolute blast of a film and it's a great chat. Thank you very much for Andy for joining me. So I hope you guys enjoy it too. And I'll see you for the outro. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to yet another episode. Today, I am joined by a new friend. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell everyone about you before we go any further? Okay, thank you. My name is Andy Gorham, uh, lifelong martial arts, kung fu, action movie fan. Star Wars, I'm going to have to say it, no matter what podcast I'm on, is my number one love. But after that, action and kung fu are right up there. So, uh, like I said, been a Kung Fu uh, action movie fan since I can remember, like the earliest thing I can remember seeing is walking in on my dad and his uh, um, brothers watching Rambo First Blood Part Two. And I was just like, and it was right where the guy walks past the wall, the uh, mud wall and you see his eyes open up and he's standing. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. And then I was yelled at to get out of the room because I was way too young to see it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, my love with like Kung Fu and martial arts movies ironically started with uh as most people my age daniel son in the karate kid that was the first thing i saw and it kind of got me wanting to do martial arts and whatnot and then i had a friend whose dad would uh rent movies and record them i know that's not cool now but there's plenty of time has passed so i think the <laughs> statute of uh, i think you're saying uh, limitations is safe but he showed me uh no retreat no surrender and i was just like this is like Karate Kid, but on speed because the fights are so much faster. They're all this stuff. And then Jean-Claude Van Damme shows up. So ever since then, it's just been trying to rent as many as I could see and watch as many as I could. So That's interesting. Um, to be honest, it's quite nice to hear someone that whose reason for getting into these films wasn't Bruce Lee. Um, I'm glad to hear. <laughs> he <the> came ca- <laughs> soon. Yeah. <laughs> after, but... but it's nice to hear the Karate Kid get some love because um, my uh experience was different because i was born in 91 so i was the correct age for mighty Morphin power rangers so i had that growing up uh, as my introduction to pretty much everything i'm into now martial arts action superheroes transforming robots and anything supernatural it had everything all in one 20 minutes <laughs> it most <soon>. certainly did <laughs> <laughs> but uh Pretty soon after I watched the Karate Kid uh, 1, 2, and 3, because obviously by that point they were all out, um, I even depressingly watched the fourth Karate Kid. And you even know. as a kid, I was kind of like, what is this? <laughs> I, I, I was never a fan of films that um, had the name but not the actor. 
but yeah it's uh it's nice to have you on the show uh this one is i would say this one's a little bit different but uh because i can guarantee this episode comes out after that one we've already had an episode covering spider-man no way home so if it hasn't become clear to you guys by now i will cover anything and everything i want to this big mix of films that we're doing to begin with should cover it and it we won't just be doing films so make of that what you will (laughs) (laughs) so when did you first watch uh, the film that we're doing today writing wrongs writing wrongs let's see i had heard about it for a long time um brandon lee was actually a really huge like in my life when i was younger um so i sought out every movie i could of his and i got the um tay sang release of legacy of rage and there was a preview before it that wasn't this movie but it was uh the martial arts classic the prodigal son Uh and that trailer stuck with me i actually posted it on twitter a few weeks ago and that trailer stuck and the main actor i was like who is this guy and i kept hearing about writing wrongs or in some places above the law and um i actually finally i saw some uh fight scene clips on youtube but then didn't want to watch it because I didn't want to be spoiled for eventually when I could get like an actual import copy. But then Dragon Dynasty released it and I picked it up day one and watched it as soon as I got home. So that's probably, I don't know, 10, 11 years ago is when I saw the full thing. So, OK, see, it's funny because um, if I tried to search for Above the Law, I know for a fact all I'm going to get is a load of Steven Seagal DVDs. Um, yep. So, uh, yeah, I I. Uh, you know what? I love 80s action films uh, from Hong Kong, but trying to find them now with their myriad of different titles is agonizing because I never really know what I'm looking for. And I, I could, I've spent a long time looking for a particular film on occasion. And then I talk to someone else and they go, oh, yeah, but that wasn't called that for you. It was called this. And then I put that in and there it is just straight away. And I'm like, oh. I've spent so long looking for this. It's ridiculous. Um, so uh, my experience is very different. Uh, I watched this for the first time this morning. <laughs> really? Yes. Um, Interesting. I had have had it uh, to watch for a while and never got around to it, um, mostly because uh, I was hoping to find a slightly better version because the version I have is not the best quality. Um, it's an older release. And it drove me mad when I tried to watch it the first time. And I thought, no, I'm sure I'm sure they'll bring it out on Blu-ray or they'll remaster it or they'll do something with it. But every other film from that era seems to be getting that treatment. But but not this one. (laughs) So, nope, not this one. (laughs) I'd I'd already decided that I wanted to do this as an episode because I know that it has such a big status. And unlike you, I had actually seen a number of scenes from it. Um, I didn't realize I'd seen a number of scenes from it until I watched it. But uh, specifically, most of the stuff with Cynthia Rothrock doing her Kung Fu stuff, I'd actually seen. I mean, I'm pretty confident uh, her fight at the end uh, was heavily featured in um, uh, oh, that damn documentary that name has escaped my head. Uh, Kung Fu Hits and Iron Kicks. Was that it? Oh, have I, you seen yes, that one? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, I'm pretty confident that they talk uh, really heavily about that in that documentary and really broke it down and why certain choices were made that uh, (laughs) I'm going to get into later. But yeah, I really enjoyed it watching it for the first time. Um, I knew I would because, you know, everybody in this is some of my favorite people around. I mean, Yun Byu and Cynthia Rothrock and the rest of the supporting cast. I always hesitate to say the names of the supporting cast because without looking them up, 
I know I'm going to get them wrong and then people will yell at me. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> me too. I'm like, when I was watching it, knowing I was going to be, you know, talking with you today, I was like, should I be writing these names down? And I was like, no, we know the big ones. <laughs> UMBU, Rothrock, and then the main bad guy is Melvin Wong. I did the double and triple check that before I said it. So he's yes. an ex- he's excellent in this movie as well. So. I, I was literally just going to do a shout out for Melvin Wong because it, it drove me mad. I, I was watching this the whole film going, I know this person, but I, I, and then when I actually looked it up and I'm like, oh, that's him. I was like, I've seen him in loads of other stuff, but not like this. <laughs> no, not all beefcake and kick yeah. ass. So, I was yeah. like, what, what? I want to know what he had so I can have some. Yeah. I assume that like myself, you uh, really liked it when you watched it. Yes, yes. The first time and then subsequently the many, many times I've watched it since. Yes. Excellent. Um, so what would you before we start talking about anything else? What did you think about the actual story of the film? Well, uh, the actual story is interesting. Um, it's very I, th- I think they were influenced by Daredevil, like not knowing they were. They just heard this. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this comic of a lawyer by by day vigilante by night and i think that's they just took it and ran it with their own kind of you know hong kong 80s storytelling standpoint which is like (laughs) let's just get us from one action scene to the next but they actually do put some thought and effort into it so i appreciate that when you go back and watch it it is an easily watchable movie yeah to be to be fair i was quite impressed by that um the opening sequence is a lot darker than some of the stuff from that era and I thought maybe, you know, okay, we're going to start darker and then it's going to go down the same sort of route. But actually, no, there's it, it really maintains its tone quite well, barring a few standard 80s Hong Kong things that you just kind of have to put up with if you're watching these sorts of films. But yes. overall, I was like, this is actually almost uh, a serious film. It's not quite, like I say, it has those moments that kind of, can pull some people out of it it doesn't bother me i've watched enough of these films to know what i'm getting into but if this was your first exposure to the genre i can definitely see some moments of people going what <laughs> but right. if you're used to it then you know what to expect um but i was really impressed by like you say i hadn't actually even made the daredevil connection which is funny because uh, previous episode i think me and mike spent a good 20 minutes talking about daredevil so <laughs> uh but yeah, now that you said that, it definitely could be, uh, it could quite easily slot into one of those Daredevil comics. Um, mm-hmm. It also made me think of, uh, the opening especially made me think of a show I used to watch from the 70s called The Professionals. And the big car chase, sorry, the big car chase with the guns and, you know, the big over the top moment. That uh, really reminded me of like, oh, I'm watching a, a Sunday morning television show that you would find on like, bravo over here in the uk and the bit that took me by surprise though is uh right at the beginning of that chase he had you know yumbu gets to see his mentor get shot in front of him and then that in and of itself was like oh okay it's that sort of film and then they drive up on him with a machine gun and just continue to riddle him with bullets and i'm thinking i think you got him guys he's dead (laughs) (laughs) and then yun gets in a car and chases him and then he successfully runs them off the road and they're trying to get out the car and I thought oh, okay so he's gonna arrest them now no he can see they're alive and chooses to shoot the fuel tank and blow them up and I thought okay 
we're going very different than normal with this one then. Yes, not only shoot them, but shoot them with somehow a dirty hairy magnum. <laughs> which yes. <laughs> Yeah, that that was a quite an interesting weapon, and it, it made me laugh because they just ignore that for the rest of the film. Like, oh yeah, that happened, but we're not going to address it. We're just kind of yeah. moving on. <laughs> Somehow that was all fine, and now we're in court. And the story is like you said, if you've seen this sort of film before, it's pretty generic. Uh, in that you know, the big powerful criminal bad guys that are organized crime can't get convicted because. They can't get the evidence and they haven't had any witnesses. And now that they finally got a witness, they killed the witness and the witness's family, which I will admit was a very distressing and brutal scene to watch. Like I said, this film maintains a really dark tone for quite a while before it gives you any levity or should I say attempts to give you some levity. <laughs> um, and I really loved it because I genuinely would have loved to have seen some of these older films really show what they could do if they were allowed to not have the comedy and just stick with the darker tone. Obviously, Hong Kong films would eventually go there, but it would have been really cool to see what people like Yun, Samo, Jackie, and even Jet to a lesser degree could have done with that sort of story. But um, I, I just really wasn't expecting the tone. What did you think of it the first time you watched it? Oh, yeah, same thing. The first time I watched it, I was like, uh, I was like, okay, we're starting off, like you said, very, very dark. I was like, all right, the poor guy murdered with a, like 18 rounds. <laughs> I was like, you guys got him, but then uh, as it keeps going on, you see, like you said, you see families locked up and then fire started to their home. You see uh, just, you know, young people, old people, nobody's off limits to these bad guys, which, again, you never know exactly what they're doing. Like, I've, I've watched it so many times and I can't tell you what the bad guys ever did to get in court in the first place, other than <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe drugs. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and then. Uh, Ewan Bue's character is kind of that he's equally dark. Like you said, he starts the movie by not arresting them, which the law should, because that's what he's just spent years going to school to do. He instead shoots and blows up the car. And then uh, when they get when they get off without having any witnesses, he's like, I'm going to take this into my own hands and become a vigilante who doesn't wear a mask. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> which made, which makes me laugh because I was like, well, no, we have to see this him doing all these stunts and fights, but it's kind of funny. He just shows up without a mask on. I was like, okay. It, it, it's made funnier by the fact that he shows up without a mask, but he's made sure to wear gloves. Right, so he, he doesn't leave fingerprints. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, the important thing is I don't leave any fingerprints. Who cares if they recognize me? That's, right. that's inconsequential. <laughs> Although... To be fair, this was filmed at a time when there wasn't a lot of like, you know, cell phones, security cameras. So like, I guess if you if they didn't see you there and there's no video proof, your your uh, fingerprints are the only way that they can tie you to the scene. That is true. In fairness, I mean, it is kind of negated by the fact that characters were just literally watching him do stuff <laughs> that if he was just wearing a mask would have allowed them to have a little bit of doubt, you know, <laughs> exactly. And then some of them were like, didn't we just see you in court trying to prosecute us? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, I I I like like you said, I like that the tone carries carries through. Like you said, there are some moments where it gets to be there some uh, shenanigans at play, which aren't which if those weren't in there, like you said, this would be a really dark movie that I think would play really well over in most of the world. Like it would play really well. Yeah. It seems like kind of that late seventies, early eighties kind of hardcore 
dirty, dirty, hairy type movie. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think if it didn't have the the style of humor that these films often try and, and put into them, it probably would be a lot more loved universally around the world. I know it does get a lot of love and I know people do enjoy this film, but I think that the, 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 the weird and wonderful humor that they loved to put in really does unfortunately turn a lot of people off. And I think, especially if you're watching them for the first time now, I just don't see the newer generation even getting to the good stuff to put it simply one of my friends who isn't even you know part of what i would call the newer generation he 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 kind of opened my eyes to stuff like that in that for me i can pretty much watch anything if it, if i'm gonna get some good stuff at the end if i know it's all building or if i know there's good stuff but there's there's little bits that i'm gonna have to get through um he's not like that i remember we watched uh shanghai nights is it nights yes yeah, nights and the scene where Jackie and Owen are dressed up and uh, imitating other people to break into a party. Yeah, yeah, he he literally got up and left the room because he couldn't cope with that because it was too cringe. And that was my awakening to this thing called cringe that I don't care about. I've never been bothered by. But so many people are on his side and just will not watch a film if it's like that. And I'm like, it's not the film. It's like barely five minutes. But nope. That scene, he just got up, did something else, and came back when it was over. <laughs> Interesting, yeah. Uh, the only thing I can attest to is I have I have kids, so my 18-year-old and my 14-year-old, when I try to show them these things, you're right. If if the action doesn't kick in right away, or if it's, they're just like, or when you the weird humor hits, they're just like, Dad, what is this? And then they just kind of like get up slowly, walk away like they've just yeah. walked into something they should, and they're like, We'll talk to you later, Dad. Enjoy your old DVDs, Pop. I'm going to go watch YouTube on my phone. <laughs> yeah. The, the really depressing thing is that it's not... I mean, all right, in this film, it kind of is, because it does feel out of place because of the dark tone. But in yeah. a lot of the film, it's not... And I know you were saying it from their point of view, but it's not weird humor. It's just humor that's very dated from our point of view, because it was dated when they made it, because they were inspired by things that my granddad was... <laughs> finding funny when he was a young person because obviously for them it had only just made it to hong kong or asia as a whole so for them it was really current it was modern they were doing the things that they thought was on the cutting edge and of course for all of us it was like no guys that stuff was like back in the black and white days we we don't do that anymore <laughs> so it's like it's aged faster as a result of that because like you said kids watch it and are like this what you guys used to find funny and we're like no this is what your grand's granddad found funny <laughs> <laughs> that is an excellent point and i've never really thought of it that way but yes that is an excellent point yeah it's one of those things because like i know all right going off on a tangent but that's kind of par for the course but so many of the films with yun's friend you know brothers samo and jackie there's so many homages to the Three Stooges. There's so many homages to Laurel and Hardy. I know that, even though I've never really sat down and properly watched all of that stuff. I've seen bits and pieces of it, and I have seen like full-length episodes in a couple of the films. But I know for a fact that majority of people my age watching it maybe might pick up on the Three Stooges bit, but I'll bet most people it just went... And they were like, why are they doing that? You know, all of the slapstick stuff is always an homage you can almost always find 
like a Buster Keaton scene that is almost note for note the same. But again, if you don't know that, if you don't want to know that, if you don't want to dig into it, like I suspect me and you both do, um, all of that's just going to feel weird and confuse you. Correct. Yes. <sighs> but luckily, they were very good at putting together fight scenes. So it's all good. Oh. <laughs> yes, they were excellent at putting together fight scenes. Yes. <laughs> So one of the things I really liked as well is the fact that he kept the broken book that was covered in bullet holes that his uh, mentor had obviously given him because that that is such a, even though, again, it was it's not really held on. But I really love that powerful image that whenever he wants to make a point, he just holds up this book that's full of bullet holes. And he's like, I fought for this justice, you know, <laughs> <laughs> as I was in turn watching it, that was a mental note that I made to myself as I was like. He kept the book, and at one point, he's reading it. And I was like, how do you read it with all the bullet holes through it? I know, right? <laughs> and then later, when he's attacked in his home, they shoot another book. I was like, man, they really did not like books in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was uh, maybe it was only books that they'd brought over from the mainland China. Maybe that was Correct, how they got away yes. with it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but no, uh, that, yeah, that, 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 uh, that visual of the book that's been shot through and that he kept it, that was, you know, given to him by his, you know, mentor definitely rings true. And it makes you see why the, you know, Ewan's character does what he does. Yes. Um, I also really liked the magistrate or the judge played by Roy Chow. Um, Cause I knew that actor straight away. I've seen him in so many other things. I really thought he was going to have a bigger role, but it's just a cameo really. Right. Um, but I love the reveal at the end after uh, they have this big argument in the court and then the next scene is them chilling out in his chambers and then they're like, they're no longer judge and prosecutor, they're father and son. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, that's, that, that was a clever reveal. I really like the way they did that. Yeah. And then I, I don't know about the um, subtitles for you, but at one point they see the crooks walk, you know, walk past the, the window and the, the judge like does a little gun, yeah. you know, with his hand and like does this. And then Ewan says something like, maybe I'll do that one day. And he goes, if you do, I will not prosecute you. And it's like, and yep. they kind of wink and smile. And I was like, did he just give him kind of a approval to go all well, vigilante uh, on them? But. Again, because, uh, uh, and just for full disclosure, folks, because this film's had different releases and because subtitling and different regions, because I'm in the UK, obviously uh, you're in the US, we've all got different releases. And a lot of the times the subtitles, you could put all four of them in this case together and they'll all be different. Um, so I think for me, I did, I, I definitely got that. I really liked the exchange where at first they were implying that the judge should do the killing. And then they were like, <laughs> no, look at me. I'm old. My hands tremble. I couldn't hold the gun. Yep. <laughs> I was like, wow. Okay. I, I, I was trying to decide if they were implying that he used to do this. And that's why <laughs> Yun is like, so okay with it. Cause it's like, yeah, it's a family business, man. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's nobody before nobody came out. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right. He literally just kind of looks at him and winks and then he walks out. He's tracking the guy down to take him out. <laughs> yeah. But then I, so. I also think that that is a generational difference because, and again, I'm going to reference him again, but I know for a fact that that sort of attitude is the reason why my granddad loved these films and why he then showed them to me because obviously he really liked them and he knew I liked the stuff. But um, that old fashioned attitude of, well, we're the good guys. We know they're the bad guys. So if we kill them and get rid of them, then it's okay. Right. And I know for, for certain generations that that really resonates because I think, especially now, it plays into the idea that 
you know the way the world should be and it's everybody else that's broken it's not you and it would be so much simpler if people just 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 sorted out the problem and it's like yeah well in some ways yes but um it can very quickly go off the rails as it so often does and it does in fact do that in this film which really surprised me yes very 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 much so <laughs> uh because that I, I genuinely was not expecting it to have such a and we will be spoiling a 40 year old film just so you know guys um we i was not expecting the story to have so many twists because typically speaking that that's not really something i associate with 80s hong kong action but also they have a body count for the good guys that really took me by surprise for when this film was made because these days it wouldn't have surprised me if i'm watching a police story film and half the police squad dies i'm, I'm more surprised at this point when anyone from the police side stays alive but <laughs> right. uh when this film was made they didn't really do that and or at least not the ones i've seen because i'm sure i'll get inundated with people telling me the names of films that did do this but the ones i've seen guys <laughs> haven't done this so that really surprised me that halfway through the film we start losing people and that doesn't lead to a really cathartic moment where the good guys all team up and sort life out and i don't know i i i i feel like this film is such a weird piece for the period it was made and it stars yumbu and cynthia rothrock which in and of itself is a weird thing because a white woman taking center stage in an asian-led film is like i can't think of many other times that's happened no, definitely not. I mean, maybe her other, you know, film, you know, uh, yes, yes, madam. madam. Oh, I love that film. Yes, but but that was you know her starring role. Like you go into this one, you know, Yoon's on the the cover. We know we're going to see him in it, but then yeah, she has such a prominent role. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's. I don't like to use the word progressive, but it almost is for that time frame for them too, because they brought somebody over who really hadn't proven anything really yeah. and put her in this starring role and she she nailed it i mean of course it's cynthia rothrock she's gonna she looks the part she fights the part but she also carries herself well in the the uh scenes so. yes her yeah. uh her introduction scene in this film did kind of make me worry what exactly her role in this film was going to be because of the way they introduce her and where they choose to place the camera shall we say but uh, that was really <laughs> yep. the only point in the film that they were like, yeah, she pretty, by the way, we want you to know this. <laughs> right. <laughs> but after that, it was, right. uh, she very much was a very serious character and they treated her as such. And again, yes. for the time period, that was quite rare in my opinion. Yeah. Yes, madam. I admittedly had to escape my brain as I was talking, but that's the problem when you watch this many movies, folks, you forget half the stuff that's out there and even stuff you've seen. I think that's one of the reasons I like this, too, is you and to me was always the more serious of the, you know, the three brothers. You know, you got Samo, who's who's fun, but also serious. And you got Jackie, who's most people associate him with his more kind of silly yeah. side and awesome zany kind of fight scenes. But you and it was just when I see this, I was like, man, he didn't break character at all. Like he doesn't, you know, he's that kind of tough, gruff lawyer turned vigilante the whole way through. And he doesn't really break. He just, he's trying to do the right thing and laws, be, laws be damned. Even though he's gone to school to uphold the law, he realizes that the law has limitations. So yes, uh, he is a very good lawyer, but um, it's one of those, <laughs> 
There we go. <laughs> there we go. We got to Yep. <laughs> He's a really yes. good lawyer. <laughs> um, I, I did like his speeches at various points throughout the film. And I know we're jumping all over the film, guys. We will go in a bit more of an order in a second. But I, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think this was actually a really good performance for Yoon. I'm, I like him in everything he's done where he's the lead. Uh, I even really like him in stuff where he just kind of shows up and has no real reason to be in such a small role, but he seemed to do that a lot. (laughs) We were talking before we started recording. And like you said, he seems to be the one that ends up having to double for other people. Even when he's the lead in the film, it's just different type of filmmaking. It's whatever you need to do to get the film made. And that's what we'll do. Uh, Yep. And whenever he in turn shows up, I, the screen just lights up. I'm like, Oh, Ewan's here. Everything's going to be good for no matter how long he's here. (laughs) No, it's funny, actually, because even though I agree with you that uh, I really like Ewan playing this role, I would have actually really liked to see Samo do this type of film because, I mean, all three of them were capable of doing it. But obviously, with what Samo did with his later work, um, uh, him playing a deadly, straight, dark, vigilante character would actually have been quite entertaining uh, when he was in his prime because obviously later on he played gangsters, he's played all sorts of different roles and we know now he would have absolutely nailed it. And even at the time he had his serious roles. But for me, Samo is my favorite of the three, um, partly because uh, I <laughs> for a long time shared a lot of attributes with him. So seeing someone of his shape and size uh, actually doing martial arts really kind of pushed me to do it myself, which is what I did. Um, but uh, awesome. it's just one of those things like I've seen so many interviews of people where Yun is always the one that gets called out as the guy that everybody struggles to keep up with um, so many of the people that he's worked with in films and that is for him on screen have said that they might start pretending that they're all as fast as him but then they realize that actually he spent the entire time holding back and when he actually cuts loose they, they couldn't keep up with him even if they really wanted to and I think from memory, he actually said that Cynthia is the only person he worked with that that didn't happen with. And that that's one of the reasons why their fights in this film are so amazing is because it's one of the few times where they both just go. They don't have to worry about holding back. They're not worried that the other person isn't going to not hit their marks. They can just go and trust that the other person is going to keep up. Yes. And actually she said the, the exact same thing about him. She said of all the people she's fought, his timing, just meshed with hers perfectly and yeah you can you can you can tell there's a different level when they fight it just looks so effortless and um you know aside from when she's doubled for the more insane stunt work that you're not going to put somebody who doesn't who's not trained in that to in turn do um but correct yeah they just have a different a different chemistry even from her and like richard uh you know richard norton who i think have excellent chemistry and a ton of other movies it's a different one you can just see it in those fight scenes and it really shows what cynthia was truly capable of i think it helps as well because uh, i may be completely wrong here but i'm pretty sure i'm right but cynthia is trained in kung fu and obviously yun is also trained in kung fu and richard was mostly a karate base so naturally Correct. that's gonna create some differences when you see them fight so i think uh, Cynthia and Yun, when they fight, you can see Kung Fu in its purest form without having to make allowances for other styles, other martial artists. And obviously, something we haven't said is this film is directed by Corey Yun, which naturally means that you can guarantee everything's going to be good and the fights will yes. be really good. And he's actually playing one of the characters in this as well. Um, mm-hmm. 
unfortunately he's one of the yeah humor that doesn't quite age as well but he's still i it's it's great to see everybody whose name is in the credits is behind the camera but also in front of the camera <laughs> yes and i and i genuinely think that that style of filmmaking is the reason why we're still talking about these films all these years later mm-hmm. no one was making these sorts of films for a paycheck no one was making it because a studio needed a new release the only reason these films get made is because everybody involved wanted to make them however long it took to make them because some of these films took so long to make and i'm pretty sure this is one of them where they filmed half of it ran out of money so everybody went into something else and then came back and filmed the rest of it and then just stitched it together yeah from what i've in turn read and listening to the um the dragon dynasty um commentary that kind of that definitely sounds about right yeah, and I'm going to say it now because otherwise I will forget, but uh, the fight between Cynthia and Karen at the end of the film, I know for a fact, uh, is one such instance where, uh, for, for a multitude of different reasons, from what I understand, uh, Karen was not Cynthia's biggest fan in real life, and they were both rivals uh, on the com- competition stage, and uh, she did not finish the fight scenes that she was supposed to, and that's why she kind of just gets killed shall we say unceremoniously and you don't actually see the see the face when the body's dead (laughs) right yep nope i have read and heard that from numerous um interviews also and you can definitely tell that they reached a certain point and and karen was done (laughs) yeah you can also tell that there's um there's not much weight being pulled when those two are hitting each other No, no, there's nothing being pulled there. It's it's a true that uh, competition spirit led all the way up to this. And it was almost like watching a live sparring session. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but anyway, like I said, we are jumping ahead. So we are um, to rewind it a little bit. As we say, he's a vigilante. Cynthia Rothrick is a police detective whose name, I swear, seemed to change every time the subtitles said a line. Her name was different and I kind of gave up. Um This is made funnier by the fact that I've noticed that on IMDb, some of the characters have two different names, which is why I got so confused. So Cynthia's character has got the name of Cindy C or Sandy Jones. And (laughs) I am I'm convinced that the subtitles used both names at at one point. So (laughs) now I know at least why I was so confused. Yeah, if you keep if you keep throwing out two different names for the same person, it's going to be a little confusing. Yeah, well, they've it's the same for all of the cast. Ironically, not for Superintendent Wong. He's the only one oh. that is called Wong. Uh, I I'm guessing that there must have been a decision to try and localize some of the names when it was released somewhere. I don't know if that was here. I don't know if it was the U.S. If it was Europe, um, but yeah, uh, Yumbu has got. Uh, Si Cheng Ling or Jason Chan, and at no point did he get called. Uh, He's never called Jason Chan. No, at least at least the so, one I watched. <laughs> and it's the same as uh, his dad. He's either called the magistrate or the judge. And uh, I, I again, I'm sure that the subtitles had them saying both, or I was just hearing magistrate, but the subtitles were saying judge. I don't know anymore. Uh, that's the problem when you when you watch this many films you start to pick up on some of the language and then that really messes with your brain when what you're hearing doesn't match the subtitles yep or when you're you're watching it and you're sometimes you're not paying full attention to this the story because you're like waiting for the next fight scene to happen you know when i was like younger and i'd be like 
what just happened there? And they, he's the judge. Wait, no magistrate. And then somebody goes, Andy, those are the same titles, but you know, they're, <laughs> yeah, we, you know, there are more judges here in my, you know, in the, uh, uh, us. So maybe that's why they call it both. They try to cover if it's in the UK or the, you know, yeah. us, maybe they do that for try to make it better for us when it really, it would just help if they just called it one name and moved on. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. So yeah, that's the setup for the two main characters. And then as you say, Yumbu decides to go around and try and be a vigilante without covering his face, which for reasons I didn't really follow that it basically gets him caught by Cynthia Rothrock's character and they just kind of show up in the same place. But what I like is I was getting frustrated by her character a little bit in some of her sequences because she's very boneheaded, which I realized mm -hmm. going on is that was a character choice, not a, okay, this is stupid. Uh, <laughs> like that, right. that is her character to a T, not just the writers ignoring facts. But when they meet and their excuse for their first fight is basically she thinks that he's killed one of the crime bosses, which he had, but not actually the one that she'd caught him by the body of. Right. So, you know, technically she wasn't wrong, but actually she was. And uh, what I what made me laugh is he even says to her, if you stopped for a minute and actually did some investigating, you could get to the bottom of this, but she doesn't. She's convinced that he did it. And in reality, he was only in the room like 10 seconds before she was, and she saw him go in. So I, I would love to know her thought process of how she thinks he did the damage that had been done to that guy's body in the time it took her to get to the door, you know? <laughs> right. And that's one of the things, this movie, while it being dark, it's also very violent. Like yes. when he, when, you know, uh, Melvin Wong has the, the pipe and then he shoves the lit pipe into the guy's th mouth and then takes the stem of the pipe off and it's a knife and then stabs him right in the temple i was like i've totally forgot about that when i watched it this morning i was like "Ooh, that's that's i mean you get violence in these movies but sometimes not to that level and that was yeah. like "Ooh, that was very 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 visceral so establish melvin's wong's character as somebody you're not going to mess with who's not going to take any you know he's he's not going to leave a body for chance of being found because he's because he's being paid off by the bad guys right is that why he's involved is that yes what you got out of that okay yes yeah that 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 i must admit i really did struggle and i couldn't decide if that was the subtitles or if it really was just that weirdly worded um it might be just a mix of both but my my understanding was he was the reason that they got out of the case that they were in and he was the one that killed the witnesses not directly he obviously had right. someone do it for him but he killed the witnesses uh, in the beginning of the film. And then they had to pay him a silly amount of money. And basically the sensible one is the one that you and you killed. And then obviously the one that was left basically was like, ha ha ha, I don't need to pay you because I'm a powerful crime lord. You wouldn't dare do anything to me. And then, as you say, uh, Wong was basically like Uno reverse and I've already killed all your men. So I'll just kill you as well and take all of the money. Well, you know, mm -hmm. I'll I'll be the uh, crime lord now. Why not? <laughs> yeah, right. And because if you're the crime lord slash you know superintendent, nobody's going to be able to catch you because you can always direct people elsewhere. Yes, and I, I'll be honest. I wasn't actually because maybe I missed it. But did we know he was a superintendent before that scene? Or was... uh, I think so. Okay, because yes. I don't think I'd grasp that because I don't think I had um, put two and two together that that was the same face. Because as you say, I was too. Um, laser focused on the level of violence that had just happened because like i said 
dark tone doesn't stop and i have chosen to skip over everything that happened in the police station because that was all just comedy stuff <laughs> right we're yeah we're just focusing on the a plus level action in this one because yes. you could spend a long time going over how the comedy doesn't work yeah the... i don't i'm not gonna do that because like i say to some people i'm sure it worked and i'm sure it, it does work in some places so if you like it that's fine yep. um there's nothing wrong with that i was talking about the fact that it was so funny how she had automatically assumed that he killed him and what I really loved as well is, and I know, again, it was made in the 80s and it was made uh, in a place where maybe this sort of stuff wasn't as thought about as much. But when they were fighting, I couldn't help but have a voice in the back of my head going, they are just completely obliterating the integrity of that crime scene. CSI <laughs> stands no chance. No, for being an actual police inspector herself, she definitely is not worried about messing up a crime scene because she literally kicks the, him into the chair with the body and kicks yep. the body over onto him. Yeah, I know. Um, but the actual fight between them is probably one of the highlights of the film. As we'd already said, um, it goes on for quite some time, but it doesn't go on to the point that it becomes fantasy. Uh, I think they do a really good job of making it feel real, considering, as we said, it, it the film tries to have a bit of a realistic undertone. And just as I thought it was getting to the point where I was like, OK, one of you kind of needs to win now. Yun leaves and then the fight goes outside. It turns into a battle of who can put handcuffs on who first. And that kind of diffused situation. The only thing that did make me laugh, though, is Yun spends the whole fight trying to run away because he thinks if he leaves, she'll have no proof. And I love the fact that he didn't think about the fact she could just go, yeah, I witnessed you do this, which is right. exactly what happens. And he looks so shocked by this. It's like, did you not think about this? You are a very intelligent lawyer. I've, it, what did you think she was going to do? <laughs> right. And then and, and then it gets to, and then it uh, it ends with an awesome Ewan stunt of him just jumping what looks like two stories down to the ground. I know there's a little pad you can see it move, but just the fact he jumps down then he turns around and gives her a little like wink and walks off. I was like, "Man, that's charisma you can't teach." <laughs> yes, exactly. I just but that's what I mean. He does that. And I thought, oh, OK, he must have a plan. No, there is no plan. He literally just goes into court and expects her to not just follow him and call him out. And it was just, just so funny to me that he he's not wearing a mask. He hasn't thought about what he's going to do if someone sees him. And after fighting with a police detective, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to go to court. I, I, what what could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <sighs> anyway. Uh, we had, uh, I'm not going to break down the entire film, guys, uh, but to basically jump ahead, the the scene for me that I, I really want to talk about is after all of that happens, you then get to discover that and the side character that we've not mentioned yet, he witnessed the actual murder and tries to prove the innocence of Yonbyu's character. Uh, you then find out that he... Allegedly, because again, you don't know if you can believe him at this point, but it, it is true. He looks after his sick grandfather. And I thought that was going to be just a throwaway line. Mm -hmm. And I was very wrong. <laughs> uh, so the bit that just completely wrecked me, uh, both emotionally and uh, mentally, was the entire sequence that follows after they send killers after him. And I am cutting out a big part of the film guys but that is just kind of exactly what you expect this came out of nowhere for me 
because as you said, we've already seen very visceral violence. It's been very dark. And I thought we'd kind of hit the level of where that would sit. No, this next scene goes way further. And it really irritates me because the characters that we've been saying, oh, they've got this one guy and he's not the best. Uh, he's very annoying. He doesn't have much to do with the story. He's just there to be the comedy relief. Well, that isn't true in this scene. And even though... I have nothing to say about him. What happened next still got to me. And the fact that it did just goes to show that the, they knew what they were doing when they wrote it. Yes, it's still frustrating to have to sit through all that comedy. But as I said, if it's worth the, the payoff, then I'll sit through it. And this was definitely worth the payoff. Um, oh, totally worth the payoff. I've just this second realized as I'm saying this, I did kind of leave out a character that is worth mentioning. But essentially... I'm pretty confident it's Corey Yun that's actually playing him, right? The the silly detective. Yeah. Yes. So he kinda partners up with uh with Cynthia or Cindy or Sandy, whatever they call her name. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that that character is basically useless, which is fine. That was a nice little running joke that they had going. He did get some ridiculous uh moments that were just like, How are you a policeman? But he also had a dad. Now the dad That's why was, he's the the policeman because his dad got him on the force yeah, that's exactly. at least how i uh, how i read it <laughs> um his dad as you say is also on the force and he is constantly nagging his son and it's some of their interactions are actually funny some of them are a bit weird and kind of worrying but again made at a different time however the character in question whose name is either bad egg or jodo um i can't even remember what they called him in my one I think it was Bad Egg, because that actually uh, Same for here, bad some egg. of my confusion. Mm -hmm. uh, he dies in this sequence, and the really infuriating thing is he dies as a hero, because the grandfather and the other character are essentially going to get killed by Wong, and the grandfather does get killed by Wong, which was not a fun scene to watch. It was very well acted and really took me by surprise. But just as Wong is about to kill the kid, our useless detective comes flying in, almost succeeds in arresting Wong, but at the last second, Wong gets the drop on him. They have a fight and he gets shot, but the bullet was actually intended for the kid. And so this character that you've spent the entire film really not wanting anything to do with just gave his life to save the life of a kid. And he died knowing full well that probably no one's going to know what he just did. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, I'm gone, man. And then the kid's grieving his grandfather and you're now grieving there. And I was like, I'm, al I'm already crying at this point because uh, I, I, I've had my own shit going on. But um, I thought it can't get any worse. And then, <laughs> then they bring the dad in who they haven't told it's happened and walk him to the crime scene. And I thought, I'm not going to make it through this film. <laughs> That was actually some really good acting by the dad because he breaks I, down. I was hardcore. just going to say that. I was just, I I think, and again, I'm sorry if I'm getting this wrong, guys. Um, I want to say that that was Paul Chang Chung, but it, it might not have been. It might have been James Tian. Uh, it's really difficult to find this out after the fact because everybody's IMD page has a modern photo. They didn't look like that in the film, which is not helping me. <laughs> um, actually, James, uh, James... Tien was the gangster that uh, Ewan Buk or was that died right before he yes. walked in and yes, then Cynthia had the fight. Uh, he... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, in that so case, it's... yeah, it, it must have been Paul in that case. Yes, um, must have been. But uh, 
I, his acting just broke me. Uh, I mean, so to to be fair, the other two guys in the scene who were also grieving their friend dying uh, really got to me. And that whole sequence was like, what is this doing in an 80s Hong Kong action film? If there's, I mean, not to insult the genre that I really love, but sometimes the acting doesn't quite fit what they're going for. But that scene was just, I hope they got some recognition for that because that was just heartbreaking, man. Yeah. Um, This movie runs the gauntlet in that because you have that excellent acting. Ewan's acting throughout the whole thing is spot on. And then as much as I love him, Pete Sugarfoot Cunningham, when he's fighting you and you at his place and then he gets the gun at the end and is screaming, come on. Like they definitely had him go over the top times 10. Cause this is. Yeah. So. Uh, did you, uh, I take it you agreed with me then that that, that scene is uh, hard to get through. Oh yeah. That's, I actually, that's one that I usually skip past if I watch it again. Like one of the, on my like, ah. watch, I'll just be like, oh, I'll just get to the next one. Cause I'm like, I don't need to, I don't I don't need this right now. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, uh if I watch it again anytime soon, I might have to do that as well. Like I say, it just was so unexpected. This that that if I was to summarize this whole film in two words, it is completely unexpected. Every trope I want to use the word that I would normally expect to find in this style of film made in the 80s is here, but they kind of do something different with it. And I would love to see more films where that happened, but I'm pretty confident that this one kind of stands on its own or only with a few outliers. Uh, because yeah. like you say, the majority of the films that we watch are have all those shared aspects, but I don't know what was different about this one. I don't know if Corey was the reason it was different. I don't know if it was written different or if it was just a case of they got such a good cast of actors together that they just pulled it off. And maybe the other films just didn't. That's that's true. I, th- I think it's a mixture of all those together. You have a tight script that doesn't really involve too much. There's some twists and turns like you had uh, said, but those are handled well. Um, you have people that have been acting their whole lives. Like, you know, a lot of these guys are old, you know, Shaw Brothers, you know, other, you know, older Golden uh, Golden Harvest films. So you got people who have acted for years and years and years and they just get a chance to, you know, show what they can do. And uh, they do not disappoint one bit. This movie really shocking in that aspect. Like you said, if they're, we keep har- not harping on, but we keep bringing up the humor. I do think if that humor was, like you said, lessened, I think this movie would play really well, even nowadays to people. Yes. Uh, just because the quality of the acting, the quality of the fight scenes, because we got, you know, John Wicks and stuff like that. People appreciate the fight scenes more, even though I've been yelling at all my friends my whole life to watch this stuff with me and now they're just starting to um but yeah i think it's all those things mixed together to just give you a very unique 80s hong kong action movie yeah um to be honest i actually completely agree with you um i didn't realize what an effect john wick had on the general audiences until quite recently um i want to say during lockdown I've noticed that so many people that I have spent a very long time knowing full well that action isn't their thing suddenly find all the films that I already love. And it happened with my dad as well because he watched the Scott Adkins film for the first time. And now he has seen, I want to say, two thirds of all Scott action films that oh. exist. 
And these are all the same films that I've had on DVD and Blu-ray for years and knew that there was no point in even trying. And now he's like, oh yeah, I watched Deck Collectors the other night. Or, oh yeah, let's watch Undisputed 3. And it's like, what happened? And I, <laughs> like you say, people have suddenly realized that there is a skill and a beauty to action films that I think was kind of ignored because everybody just wrote them off as big and dumb. It's like, yep. and, and that annoys me too, because uh, me and Rob talked about this uh, not too long ago, actually, where even Schwarzenegger and Stallone, for as much as they get written off as, oh, they can't act or, oh, they can't do this, they can't do that. Yes, they can. They're, all right, there are films in both of their uh, lists that maybe aren't the best, but when they're firing on all cylinders and when they're, when they're with a team that knows how to utilize them and can put the best people around them, they can match anything that has come out today. The difference is, is that back then, that was groundbreaking. And now you're seeing the same thing happen again with the John Wicks. And now you're seeing all the copycats come out with the John Wicks. But they're not all copycats. They're trying to do different things. They're trying to experiment. They're trying to find where to go with it next and how to integrate that into normal storytelling. And I agree with you. I think this film could have been part of that story if more people had seen it because that, that would, really wouldn't have mattered if it had the humor in or not because right. it's a foreign film it's going to have a less level of I do not know what's the matter with me today I apologize my brain just does not want to give me any words that are over three syllables <laughs> but we will continue on regardless if more eyes saw it I think it would be more loved but I agree with you that although like I said we keep going on about the humor it's not that we hate it it's just that I don't think it fits in this film and I don't think modern audiences will think it will either. But if someone was to turn around and say they were making a remake of Right and Wrongs or Above the Law now, I would say, yeah, that makes sense. I'm surprised they haven't done it. And the reason why they probably haven't done it is because people would go, isn't that just Daredevil? Which back then nobody <laughs> would have known. <laughs> right. So that was my lovely rant for the day. Uh, over to you. Okay. Uh, what are, what are... What am I going to rant about? <laughs> no, I will rant. You know what? We just we kind of briefly passed over, but the parking uh, parking garage scene where UMBA was chased by the cars, and at yes. one point, literally two cars crash above him while he's sandwiched between, and then his pant leg gets stuck. I watched that this morning. I was like, I forgot how just crazy stuntmen can be, and yeah, the fact yeah. that and the fact that they aren't recognize as much as they are i i love when we see interviews nowadays with you know stars and like you know they're they give credit to their stunt people because these movies you know people are putting their their lives on the line for it they're putting their well their uh, health and well well-being for our entertainment and you go back and look at that i'm like they literally there was a guy just laying there waiting for two cars to crash above him and then, and then uh, you know, we have an excellent fight scene that involves bats and crowbars and this and that. And it just shows it helps show you and views range. He's not just a, tra you know, traditional forms fighter. Like he looked like there's one scene where he literally kicks a guy up, flips him over onto the little like water main and then kicks up a bat and then hits him onto a car. Like just the amount of stunts that happened in that parking garage is worth looking on YouTube alone. For those of you listening that have not seen it, just type in writing wrongs fight scenes and you will be blown away by what you see by what's on film. That's now 40 plus years old 
that people are still borrowing from nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what's funny is I watched this film this morning and until you mentioned that I'd completely forgotten about that entire scene. And that's unusual for me. And the reason why is because of the scene I just talked about stuck with me. And yep. that doesn't usually happen with these films. Usually the scenes I come away with are the fights. This one, I remember the acting and that isn't to disparage the other films. I love ev- I love all of them. I've got most of them on the 88 films and Eureka releases that they're doing now. And in this one needs something like that. We were talking about that earlier. And uh, I really think that if it did have that sort of re-release, you'd see a big, big shift in the popularity of this film because even though I know it has an audience, I know it's a cult classic, I think people are sleeping on it. And Cynthia is amazing. Yun is amazing. And both of them have some stupidly good fights in this. I, st- I think Cynthia has some better fights than Yes, Madam. But at the end of the day, it's kind of unfair to compare them because most of her fights happen at the end in Yes, Madam. And this film, she has fights all the way through the film. So you can't really expect every single fight to be at the level of the finale of another film. Correct. Yes. But uh, no, I agree with you. That scene was amazing. And the, the, the stunt where he's in between the cars genuinely made me swear out loud. So I was just like, oh, yeah, I forgot you guys were crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting there watching it. And I was like, I totally forgot that his pant leg got stuck. And then the car's driving and it it's the camera's on it. And it's it's you and stuck between two cars yep. that are moving. And I was just like, how many actors do we know that would willingly just put themselves underneath the two cars to, you know, for us to see it. It's just, it's, uh, it's a time capsule of filmmaking. We're not going to see again. Yeah. Yeah. Too. No, I, I remember, um, <laughs> I remember my granddad uh, used to say this great thing of the difference between, uh, Hollywood filmmaking and Hong Kong filmmaking is, uh, if, uh, Hollywood wants a shot from above, they will have to get a 30 grand rig, that can raise the cameraman up and over to get him out of shop. And it will take days to put together. It will delay production. It will cost a fortune. And then in Hong Kong, they just tie a rope around the guy and dangle him. And if he dies, he dies, but he gets the <laughs> shot. <laughs> yes, he does. And then we, we get to watch it and it's saved forever on film. <laughs> exactly. He, he may have lived a short life, but at least he gave us some great cinema on the way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But uh, yeah, you see, now you've said that, I'm just replaying that scene over in my head and I'm just like, yeah, that was a good sequence. I really did like the uh, the baseball bat and because uh, that, again, isn't something you see from Yun particularly very often. He right. tended to be more the acrobat, whereas in that scene, you actually got to see him be a bit more of a up close and personal fighter, which was quite a nice change of pace. Yes, I think that's one of the other reasons I like this so much is it shows, like I said, his range, not only as an actor, but as a screen fighter as well. Like he does... He's he's still flippy and stuff like that because the guy is an insane acrobatic, you know, master. But um, he's a living rubber band man. Yeah, most certainly. Yes. I know that we call Scott Atkins the human or Mike calls him the human, you know, special yeah. effect. But I think you and Biao had that first because <laughs> the things he could do, few people could do. Um, but then you see that and then you mix it with how grounded the fights were. They're very gritty and they're very. A lot of hard blocks and lot and and punches and kicks and some full contact was made with some of those. They just like you could just tell oh, yes. the like stuntman just waited and then they just and the power uh, the power powder was there to help make it look even better. But uh, this fight I've I've showed 
many friends just the the fight scenes from this movie and they were like what's this called i was like mm-hmm. it's called writing wrongs or above the law and it's a, it's really amazing and then i've watched the movie with them and when you know they they were kind of bored in between but they're not super big action fans so i appreciate them watching it but they once the action kicked in nobody was like sitting back they were all kind of sitting forward watching and i think that's what these these movies did do you know can did and continue to do now is make you just sit forward and look at it and go the amount of skill that's on screen is amazing yes and uh it's funny actually because whenever i think of 80s hong kong action films specifically i'm always picturing in my head the intricate choreography or the acrobatics but something that you just said kind of has been just, just played over in my mind is actually there's a surprising amount of skill on display with car stunts as well because this film does it really well, but there's so many other ones where that kind of goes unsung because the fights are so good. But actually, they were actually really good at handling car stuff as well. And I, I don't think I ever really hear people talk about that in the same way that we talk about how well they could do a roundhouse kick. You're right. Yeah. So there you go, folks. If there's one thing you can take away from this episode, it's that we're we're choosing now to recognize how good they were with their cars. Their yes. lovely yep. Mitsubishis that were on full display to get that sponsorship money. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> uh, I think it was Mitsubishi and then Nissan for sure. Because yes. I think that's what uh, at the end fight, Ewan pulls up in a, a little Nissan sports car. And I was like, he he goes through four or five different cars throughout the movie. But, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like that they, they had a deal with Japan so that they got mo- much exposure when they did the Japanese release. Correct. <laughs> <All right>, yep. <laughs> It's not, it's not like Japan really liked, uh, you know, 80s Hong Kong films or anything. <laughs> right. No, not at all. Well, I've, I actually heard that Ewan's really, really, really big there. And yeah. He was like huge fan. So that's, you know, that makes sense that they would be like, oh, he's going to be in this movie here. Have as many of these cars as you want. Just make sure they're all shown uh, from every different angle. Because uh, there's many scenes where cars pull in and you'll see the passenger side. And in the shot, you see the front and they turn around the opposite side of the street and then they park and you see the the driver's side and it's like you saw that entire entire car and you got to see everything that just why that car looks cool and ewan's driving it i want to own that car even though they're not made anymore i would like to have one yeah to be honest there's quite a lot of um interesting cars for car lovers in this film like you say you see a lot of the japanese cars but in a surprising change of pace you also get to see a rolls royce and quite a few big uh more powerful heavy cars that Normally, you don't see in these sorts of films. It's usually the little tiny cars that they can run around in and destroy and no one will care. But there's quite a few times where you see a lot more expensive cars that you don't really associate with Hong Kong or Asia, really. And right. I know that's because obviously some of this film was had a big um, English setting that they were going with. But it just made a nice change to actually see other stuff because the amount of times I've seen a Mitsubishi or, you know, a Japanese car with Jackie Chan or Samo. And you think, is that all you guys had? You know, <laughs> but no, this film, actually, you saw a big difference and a big variety. Like you say, Yun drives five different cars. I'm convinced he stole at least two of them. Right. I, uh, I think, uh, like you said, because you, you alluded it to it earlier, the next big fight is with uh, Peter Cunningham. And uh, I agree with you. He, um, he definitely felt out of place acting wise. But I think they they wisely only gave him one line. And then I think he just went crazy with that one line. (laughs) Very, very crazy with that one line. Over the over the top doesn't even begin to 
describe it. <laughs> no, because it's so weird because he's such a cold character. The only other time we see him as is at the beginning, he's the assassin that, that killed the family, which was a, mm-hmm. a very, very methodical sequence. And then, as you say, um, the only reason that uh, Yun survives this guy's attack is because he happens to be reading the book of many bullet holes and uh, it saves him yet again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I am amazed that that book is still intact at the end of this because you think, how is there any paper left to block yet another bullet? <laughs> but uh, it does lead to a pretty good fight sequence. Um, I'm not as familiar with uh, that particular actor as it sounds like you are. Um, I have seen him in other stuff, but I don't know much about him. So you feel free to enlighten me. Oh, I don't know very much about him either, other than what I've heard on some uh, other, you know, various podcasts or, you know, um, commentaries. But he was a legit, like, uh, kickboxer. So I think his style def- definitely didn't, it felt more like that Richard Norton thing, like you had mentioned earlier. His movements yeah. were a lot more, you know, and I know it's harder sometimes I've heard from other people, like when Scott, uh, Scott Atkins talks about working with legit fighters. Sometimes they don't translate to screen fighting because it's hard for them to to make their punches bigger or make their movements more because they're more they're used to, you know, just laying a straight jab in because that's what hits and that doesn't look very good on film. But no, I think his his fight's really good. It's very intense. Um, like I said, there's really cool blocks and counters in it, and there's one scene where. Uh, Ewan does an amazing like jumping crescent kick where you can clearly see the pad on the actor on the uh, stuntman's chest. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But when I like when I see that and then you see the amount of impact that's made, I just my mind goes, I don't care. <laughs> Protect that guy because he needs to show up for another scene, probably where he's getting put through eighteen panes of panes of uh, glass. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, th- that uh, some of the kicks that they that happened in that fight sequence were just. Very, very painful looking. And like you say, I, I didn't I did notice the pad, but it was more a case of I glanced at it and then I was too busy looking at the slow motion kick. So it was like, I don't think that unless you watch these sort of films, I don't think you'd notice stuff like that. No, um, no definitely not. It's the same with the, the pads on the ground. There were a couple of times as well where I noticed uh, some very bouncy concrete and I thought, hmm. But <laughs> right. again, we know what we're looking for. I don't think anybody would really notice it unless it's the sort of thing that you really obsess over the details. I think you are are correct. And also, does every apartment building in 1980s Hong Kong have to have a glass table? Because as soon as I see it, I'm <laughs> counting down the, the minutes until somebody goes through it. <laughs> Yeah, actually, they really destroyed that apartment because not only did they go through the glass tables, they basically managed to shoot everything that was on like a side table. They threw everything. I mean, Yun cracks a pot over the other guy's head at one and point. And then knees him through some weird glass column that we never... I'm like, oh, yeah, what is yeah, that? I, okay, good. <laughs> it wasn't just me. I, I didn't really follow that bit, but I was like, ah, whatever. They're just breaking the place. I can live with it. Yeah, definitely. It it was done so well up to that point and it looked really cool. Although the shot before that, when after all the kicks and punches and they go through the 18 panes of uh, glass, when Ewan punches him in the face and it legitimately, you can just almost see the actor wince before the, the yeah. fake hand comes in and they, <laughs> and the mixture of the sweat just flies off. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, they, <sighs> it's just, it's one of my, this, this movie ranks up there just mainly for the uh, fights, like you had said, but this one, there's just some, and he's, he's so, 
violent. Like he smashes that vase over his head and then knees him through a glass thing, not even caring. And it's just like, well, I guess when the guy shoots your favorite book, you're going to have to uh, meet that with a level of violence that is way up here. To be fair, um, I actually kind of liked it because obviously the other guy was trying to kill him. Um, Obviously, you know, the scene starts with him shooting at him. And thankfully, because of the book and then Yun's quick reflexes, he was able to uh, dodge long enough to get close enough to go into more even territory. But one thing that I get frustrated with in a lot of action films, doesn't matter if they're made in the East or the West, is you'll get characters that just fight off someone that tried to kill them. And then they're like, ah, whatever. And they just kind of chuck them to one side. And it's like, ha. And it's like, no, 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 no. If someone just tried to kill you, I think you might have a stronger reaction than just, ah, whatever. You know, you clearly have beaten you now, so you won't ever come back. No, 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 no. You'd want to, you'd be angry. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Correct. Yes. When we, yeah, when I, uh, when I, uh, when I train, we talk about having a, uh, you, you have to be able to flip a a switch. Yes. And when you're just practicing, you have to, if, if you were ever to encounter a real life scenario, you have to be able to flip that switch in your head and you have to meet the violence with the kind of violence that is being brought to you. So yes, I do like that. Ewan does that when you, like you had said, like this guy not only tried to shoot me, but I'm pretty sure Ewan knows that this guy has been sent here and he probably killed some other people. So this guy's not, a person who should be left alive. Yes. Um, I, I, this, this might be a bit of a reach, but because uh, I can't remember what year it came out and I wanted to check and I forgot all about it before we started talking this, but did you ever used to, to watch or have you ever seen, um, uh, Sp- uh, I can't remember now if that was the name of the show or the name of the character. Damn it. I'm completely messing this up now. Uh, I want to call it Spencer Confidential, but that wasn't the name of the show. That was the name of the character was called Spencer. Um, it was on in the 80s, I believe, and it also starred Avery Brooks in it as a guy called Hawk. Does any of that ring a bell? They were boxes. It, it does. I just, I'm not, I'd never really watched it. Not a huge. Ah, okay, okay. Because uh, for people who have watched it, there is a there is a moment in this scene when Peter Cunningham comes in, they make a point of showing you his shoes and the shoes say Hawk on it. And he's oh. playing a black assassin and that's literally what he's credited as. And that's what Hawk was over in the Spencer show. And I doubt very much that it was intentional, but there's a little part of me that was going, did they just like, were they watching that show? And we're like, hey, we can do that character. And we, you know. <laughs> it's definitely possible. <laughs> yeah. Unless of course I look it up and discover that actually uh, it, it, it was made after this film, in which case maybe that, that show stole it from this film. I'm going to have to look it up now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. I will uh, I will continue to talk about the excellence that is uh, Ewan Buse kicks, because on this movie, his kicks are like all on on point. And that crescent kick we talked about, it's in slow motion. You can see how like just beautiful it looks. And when he lands, it's like there's a lot of power behind that. So, yeah. Uh, the show was called Spencer for Hire, and ah. it started in 1985. So there is a small possibility that they could have seen it. However. I have absolutely no idea if that show was airing in Hong Kong, so <laughs> it might not even matter. I, because who knows? But I found it funny, and maybe other people will too. Or if not, we've sure. spoiled you for five minutes. But yeah. you know, that's just just the way it goes sometimes. 
but yeah, that then leads us to another Cynthia scene, which uh, I was not prepared for because basically the kid dies and that annoyed me uh, mm-hmm. because it was so stupid. It was one of the only moments where I thought this doesn't fit the film at all. Um, so Karen comes in playing another assassin and uh, they, they give her a really good role. They, they give her a character called Karen. Uh, so, you know, whatever. But uh, she comes in as another assassin and the way they build up her killing this poor kid was so well done. Mm. And she's holding this flower and she's got this really thin blade. And I thought that what was going to happen is she was going to walk past him. The blade was going to go in him and he wouldn't scream. He wouldn't call out. He'd just fall down and she'd keep walking as if she didn't do anything. That's not what happened. <laughs> she stabs him in the neck and he screams at the top of his lungs and everybody looks at her and there's like a hundred witnesses that all can identify her and the police woman as in Cynthia is about five feet from her so she's kind of think I'm not sure why you are like this assassin lady because anybody could have done that I thought the whole point was you were going to do it quietly and silently with no witnesses but Kesara. <laughs> well, and there's it's it's filmed really well because you see both Karen and Cynthia from opposite sides of the you know board uh boardwalk yeah. walking up to him. And there's times where I'm watching it and I'm like, Cynthia, just yell out, say, Hey, character's name, come over here and like get, make him walk towards you. Like, what are you leaving him standing there for in the middle of the when she was going there to get him anyway? I know, I know. It just I don't understand what happened in that scene. I think it was just they needed the guy to die so that they could then have what happens afterwards. Right. And I, I think they were like, ah, whatever, we'll just kill him. I mean, you know, nobody apparently seems to care if they're witness killing people in this film. <laughs> no, no. And maybe as cool as it would have been if she walked past and he falls and you don't see it, maybe that way we, you know, Cynthia's character knows for sure that she killed him. Yeah, so that's why yeah. the, you know, that, the fight that's what I ensues, thought was going to happen. But... But yeah, no, it, it would have been visually a lot cooler had that ha- had your way happened. But what we what we got was a choice, an excellent, an excellent setup and a different choice that we both of us would not have made. <laughs> <laughs> but we do then get an excellent fight between Cynthia and Karen. Yes, which has one of the most obvious doubles when Cynthia chases her down and jumps from oh, the yeah. <laughs> upper balcony to catch them and i'm just looking i was like cynthia's hair just turned black cynthia's now a man <laughs> yes um i i genuinely think there were points where both of them were being doubled by men and oh yeah um it's so funny because it's not like they found men that were even remotely similar to their body size it was no. like can we find someone with the broadest shoulders on the crew we're gonna get them right <laughs> right but the fight itself was really well done as I say, um, if you want to hear them talk about it, it is on a documentary. I'm sure it's uh, Kung, Kung Fu Kicks and Iron Hits or something like that. It's very similar to that. And uh, Cynthia goes really in-depth about it, and I highly recommend watching that documentary. But for me, I've seen Cynthia do so many fights that the the actual hand-to-hand stuff, I was kind of like, it's good, but it's not anything special. But when Karen busted out the weapon, then it got fun and interesting because suddenly Mm -hmm. Cynthia had to do 
more acrobatics and a lot more um, inventive stuff to get around the fact that now Karen had a weapon. And that for me was really fun. Um, I don't think it steals anything from any of the other fights. Uh, I know people really like that fight, but for me, it was average, <laughs> which isn't an insult. It's just that the rest of the fights in this film are really good. I think in a lot of other films, that would have been the highlight. But in this one, it's just another fight. <laughs> Agreed. I'm I'm always a big fan when like uh, fashion becomes a weapon and or, you know, they they somehow find a way to work in a traditional kung fu weapon, like in this case, the whip. Uh, you know, I like that her belt kind of doubles as that. So I'm always a fan of when they, you know, they're able to do things like that, whether it's any 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 kind of movie when there's a action movie, when like fashion becomes a weapon is always interesting. And that one was cool because the whip made sense because they were both, you know, classically trained. Yep. And that that was her that was Karen's weapon of choice when she would, you know, um, uh, compete and do kata. And uh, so, yeah, that was that was brilliant. It's like, yeah, play to your actor or actress's strengths. And yep. if she's good at, the, at that weapon, then use that and find a way to. I, I it's funny too because um I a I agree and there's two things I want to say on that because one I have actually not long ago recently rewatched uh, Ninja Shadow of a Tear and mm. they obviously the whole film is built around a character that uses a weapon that's nearly identical so that for me was really funny that like this film was made in 1986 that one was made in uh, what 2012 and it's like oh this is this fight is very very similar to one I watched <laughs> not that long ago um. But I think this one's actually cooler because even though the other one had the barbed wire, as you say, this one being an improvised weapon was really nice. I do like it when they do that. The only thing that I don't like, and it's not a fault of uh, people that make films, it's just so overplayed, is if someone walks into a fight scene and I see a scarf, I know someone's about to take out a knife and they're going to disarm the knife by taking the scarf, wrapping it around their arm pulling it over around and taking the knife out. And it's like, yep. I've seen that enough times now, guys. Can we find a different way to take people's knives away from them? Yes, which is why I was happy with John Wick 3 when he used his belt to do that. Yes, yes, that was a nice moment. I was like, I was like, most of us have belts on. Yeah, take it off and use that. But yeah, everybody who, yeah, any action movie, any fight film, whenever somebody comes in wearing a scarf, you're like, okay, that's going to be used in some way, shape, or form to block parry and then throw or to catch something. So, yes. Or uh, a... if a woman's wearing a really long dress, you can guarantee they'll rip enough fabric off to have the length of a scarf and they'll do the exact same thing. But it's right. like, insert any material you want, guys. It doesn't have to be a scarf, but you, the choreography that will follow is almost like a, a, a cookie cutter formula at this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, heck. Time Cop did it with uh, Van Damme. Remember, he takes the yes. he takes he takes a towel that was around his neck because he gets <laughs> out of the shower. I don't know about you. When I shower and dry off, the towel stays in the bathroom. I don't wear it around my neck throughout the rest of the house. But thankfully, he did because he was uh, attacked by knife wielding bad guys. True. Um, I no the the towel does not follow me around the house. But then there's probably I suspect a lot of things that's different between mine and uh, Van Damme's life. So I'll, I'll give uh, him that. Same one. here. Yes. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> This film, uh, is, well, if you haven't figured it out by now, folks, going off on tangent is half the fun here. Um, I have nothing to justify. But anyway, we then cut to Cynthia and Yun having a moment where they finally unite and everybody basically decides that it's time to be on the same side. It does get a little bit emotional, but 
I wouldn't say it matches the acting that we've seen previously. Uh, they try, and this is the only thing I will say is I wasn't a hundred percent sold on the speech that uh, Yun gave. It was good, but I think after after that massive emotional moment previously, it didn't hit as well. I almost feel like if he'd given that speech with the kid, that would have worked better. But because you'd already had uh, the cop die, the grandpa die, which admittedly he wasn't a big part of the film. That wasn't why that was emotional. But you had all these characters suddenly come together and, and grieve. And it felt like such a release. Uh, and then it was like they tried to do it again. And that didn't work for me as, as well as it might do for some people. But for me, it was like, no, I've, I've done that bit now. You can't get me with that again. This just kind of feels like you, you're you're trying to play it the second time. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because because you're right. The optimal time for him to do that speech is when she catches him with the kid and he's yeah. trying to keep that kid safe. And then the kid even tells him he didn't kill him. It was that, you know, police super uh, super intendant. And she just says, no, it wasn't. And, <laughs> and yeah, this one kind of doesn't play at the same level of authenticity that it does or that yeah. it could have. Oh, it is funny, though, because, um, again, you just reminded me of something else I was going to say. I don't, I'm really all over the place tonight, so I'm sorry about that. I'll, but um, when they have that scene, and all throughout the film, like I said, Cynthia's character is is very boneheaded. She's very uh, singularly focused on what it is that she thinks is happening and kind of closes herself off from other possibilities as a result. There are two moments in this film where I feel like they could have done a lot more with her because both of them happen after she doesn't successfully arrest um, Yumbu's character because she then gets really vengeful and she flat out points a gun at him and tells her, I could blow you away right now if I wanted to. And what I thought he was going to say back but doesn't is, you could, but then you'd be doing the very thing that you're trying to arrest me for. And it's like they flirt with that so much in, in that scene and in this scene that you, you've just mentioned, where she comes in and doesn't want to listen to the truth because she wants him to be the villain and she wants justice, although she's very close to going into vengeance. But the film really doesn't go there. And I, I feel like they wanted to, but maybe they just couldn't. But they, they get so close to that storyline of, she almost becomes a vigilante herself because she can't catch the vigilante that's killing the criminal she originally was going after. <laughs> it's really weird. It is weird. But that leads us to the, after that, we get kind of our final finale yes. where Cynthia, I guess there, it, there's two different versions of the ending of, of, well, of her, her character's ending, of course, um, you know. There's one that doesn't end so well for her and one that ends slightly better for her. <laughs> oh, I did not yeah. know this. Okay. I actually found that out th uh, this morning again, listening to the uh, uh, DVD commentary. So oh. I don't know what, 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 uh, what happened in the, the copy that you watched. Uh, she died horrifically and got yep. uh, nailed to the wall. <laughs> With a giant Which, like yep. auger screw. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, yep. I was not expecting that. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it either. And uh, yeah, when that happened, I was like, man, Melvin Wong just went, took it from here to like 11. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so no, apparently there was another ending where she, it went through her shoulder and she was ah. pinned up against. And then Ewan comes in at the very end. And 
that's when Melvin Wong turns his attention towards him and they have their nice, their nice fight. Um, so yeah, I, that's, I, I think I would have preferred that purely because the film had killed enough people. Um, very much so, but that's me talking as an individual that had kind of had enough of losing people. I think the film really could have the tagline of if you seek vengeance, you need to dig two graves because that really felt like the message of the film. And like, you know, Cynthia comes in, she kicks everybody's ass. And then all of a sudden Melvin Wong comes out and they have a fight. And I was expecting Yun to then show up and they'd realize that they'd have to finally team up together in order to beat him. Cause that's what would usually happen if this was any other film. But that isn't what happens. Instead, he beats her, which is the first time she loses. Um, and then, uh, yeah, very, very uh, cruelly, shall we say, ends her life. And uh, that was kind of a, a really weird scene because, like you say, this film is so odd in that one minute you think, ah, right, this is the, this is the rhythm I know. We're going to have some fights. We're going to have some harsh moments. And then they're going to get the win. Nope. She's going to get impaled through the neck and quite literally drilled into the wall. And she's dead. Like, there's no doubt about that. There is blood everywhere. And yep. it's like, what am I watching? <laughs> and then when Yun turns up, it's like, A, I'm angry and I really want him to kick his ass. But B, I'm no longer even convinced that Yun's going to win because I was not expecting one of the two main characters to bite the dust. But right. as much as that infuriates me and I wish she'd lived, it really helps set the emotional stage for what happens next. Yes. Which is a fight for the ages. I, I love this final, final fight in this movie. Uh, Melvin Wong brought it. You and you and looks better than ever. Um, it's so, like we said, I mean, they're in it. Uh, I actually, you know, it's funny. I think uh, I can't remember who I was listening to. I was talking to some friends and the minute you put a film inside of a airplane hangar location, it like, it immediately takes your, production levels and like not raises it up because there's just so much to fill that screen with. There's planes, there's parts, there's everything. And they use everything. Like he jumps off a of plane wings. He goes underneath plane wings and they fall on barrels. They fall on cars. They, they literally just beat the crap out of each other with one of the most wicked spinning kicks you will ever see committed to film by you and Bu to Melvin to the poor stuntman's face. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you can clearly tell it's not him. I'm like, yeah, all that work. Because I'm like, Melvin Wong really worked out for that role that they said. I guess they actually sent him to work with um, uh, Bolo Young. Oh, really? To add, to add all that size on. Yeah. Oh, and so he came nice. back, and yep. So he came back, and he looks, he's all jacked, and he looks great. And then all of a sudden, when it's like, when he was doing that spin kick, I'm like, who's that guy? That's not the same person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that I, I agree with you. That fight sequence was really good. Um, I think as far as ending this film goes, it lived up to what the rest of the film had promised. Um, Melvin Wong really surprised me. Like we say, he bulked up. I, I have seen him in play characters in other films, but I've never seen him play one that is this vicious. And he believably keeps up with Yun Bu. I know that we were praising Cynthia for doing the same thing earlier, and I guess in real life he probably wouldn't, but it doesn't come across in the film. He, at all times, feels like at any moment he could get a blow-in that kills Yun. And yep. 
it's really difficult to do that when you know that the character is very, very skilled. And also it's even harder to do that in a film where you've already seen both of these guys kill people. Like, you know that there's this is essentially two killers going at each other, which they even say before the fight starts of, I don't understand, like Melvin One says to him, I don't really understand your problem with me. I kill people, you kill people. Neither one of us is the good guy in this. So why are you still trying, you know? And it's like, yeah, I really think that was the point of this film. And then after that fight, we get a really crazy sequence where a stunt guy, or was that Yun you're going to tell me, uh, was attached to the plane and the plane takes off. <laughs> that oh, that was him, indeed. Yeah, I, I thought it was because obviously they show you his face, but I've seen enough of these films to know that sometimes even back then, clever editing can make it look like Correct. they're much higher up than they actually are but right. no it, it, that looked real and maybe it wasn't i don't know but um like you say it was definitely him doing the stunts so either way it was still just as dangerous i mean maybe he uh oh what year did that come out no that was later on i wonder if uh, jackie saw this and thought i'm gonna top that in super cup <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> oh i i have a strong feeling there was there's definitely that one-upsmanship amongst those three Oh, yes. Sure. No, I know there was because they've all yes. written that in, in various different interviews and books, whatever. But uh, it's just funny when you see certain films and you think there's a similar stunt to that in another film. I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yep. And that one, Jackie, like they they zoom in on his face while you see it flying. And it's just like he's like, I'll take that and turn it up a notch. Yep. And yep. uh, I really like that. It, it it stands out in your memory. You don't just remember it as another Kung Fu fight. There was more to it. Like you say, you had the great set in the airfield and then the plane actually goes. Um, the only thing that did make me confuse me, but then I got my answer was I was like, how is he going to get out of this? And then I got my answer and it was kind of like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> right Yet again. Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming yours yours ended with him falling into the water, correct? Yes. After he jumps out of the plane and then rising to the surface at the end, correct? Just rising at the surface to the end, looking like an extra from uh, House of Horrors. Yes. Okay. Apparently, there was another version where he lived through that. Ah. And then uh, a bunch of boats show up. Cynthia's on the the boat or one of the boats, and you know they still have to take him in, and then. He goes before court and gets life in prison because oh. I guess, because I guess Hong Kong was very like if your guys do something wrong, they have to suffer the actual consequences yes, of that. Yes, yes. So you know, so he went to court, but I, I guess when she when she showed up on the boat, her hair was completely different because they had filmed it so many months apart. Yeah. So I'm glad that they kind of cut it because I'm glad that we got the version we got because. It would throw you off because the person that I was um, uh, listening to, they they made a funny comment. They're like, she just had a spear or a, a giant auger through her shoulder, but she had time to stop at the stylist to get her hair done before going to pick him up <laughs> in the water. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, and this, mo this movie ends like a, a Game of Thrones episode. <laughs> yeah, it really is because you have so many people that I was convinced was going to be there at the end and not a single one of them were all of the main characters get fatalities and the fact that they showed it is what really surprised me like i said cynthia died a really horrible death the kid 
died a weird death and the bumbling idiot detective died a hero but still died pretty poorly horrible death yeah and then at the end i mean to be fair there was no way yun was going to survive that fall i mean i was a part of me was kind of getting grumpy because i thought he fell for ages before hitting that water and i'm like he should have just dissolved when he hit the sea he should not have been able to fall inside the sea hitting the hitting water from that height at that speed is the same as hitting concrete yep (laughs) yeah Uh, so at least we got that scene of him floating up like you said tattered blooded blood in the water and it's like okay this 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 movie ends like that but like you said, it started that way and it ends that way. It doesn't change yeah. throughout the course of the movie. So it at least has a kind of a full circle narrative there. And like I said, I, I think that was the point of the film. Although Yun did indeed right the wrongs, he was not above the law. Oh, <laughs> I don't see how, how we can get any better than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that we'll, uh, we'll call it here. I mean, I think it's safe to say that... Um, if we we're both saying that this is a, a classic for the ages right correct i would say see i don't like ending uh episodes by saying do we recommend it because if you've just listened to us we've just told you everything that happens <laughs> right so, and if you're and if you're listening to a uh us talk about a movie called writing wrongs you've probably heard of it <laughs> yes i would at least um, hope so but there there are these but, yeah. these yeah, there, there are people that don't. I mean, I don't know why. Uh, I'm not like that. If I'm listening to a podcast, it's something I've seen. I, I would never listen to a discussion on something that I've never seen before, unless I know I'm not going to watch it because maybe it's not my thing that I want to hear someone's thoughts about it. That's sure. what I think a lot of people do. I think they, they tune in because they know realistically they're never going to see it. So let's let's that's see what these guys want to say about it. And if that's you, that's cool. You're welcome here. But I think that's going to do it for today, folks. Uh, I think this might currently be our shortest episode with a guest. So thank you very much. (laughs) No, no, thank you. (laughs) I guess that just means I'll have to come back and talk about another action kung fu classic sometime down the road then. I guess that's me inviting myself back on, (laughs) which I shouldn't do. (laughs) To be fair, um, everyone that has been on so far has pretty much ended up being on again already so it it would be weird if you were the only one that only had one appearance so yes you are more than welcome to come back anytime (laughs) if you want you you. can even pick the film oh i will yeah i'll get thinking about that there we go so thank you very much for listening ladies and gentlemen uh my name is scott and you've been andy so (laughs) so so we will see you in the next one All right, that was the end of that particular chat. Sorry to cut it off there, but we just kind of rambled for a couple minutes and uh, didn't really get anywhere. So thank you once again to my guest, Andy, for joining me. I had an absolute blast talking with him. He is a terrific guy. He really knows his stuff. And uh, as you could probably hear, we were having uh, some fun trying to get our words out on that particular night. But you will be hearing Andy come back again, for he has chosen the film that he wishes to talk about next and we've also chosen the film we're going to talk about after that so yeah he's coming back at least two more times and then we will see what the future holds as for next week's episode well you just stay right there and i will tell you what it's going to be
Next week's episode is going to see the return of the actor that started this podcast. Yes, it's another Arnold Schwarzenegger film, and it is also another 1980s film, and it was actually supposed to be the debut episode or one of the first two episodes when this podcast was originally getting its inception properly sorted, and that is The Running Man. Now, The Running Man was chosen for a very specific reason, and that is the ridiculous popularity, the well-deserved, I will add, but the ridiculous nonetheless popularity of Netflix's Squid Game. And I love Squid Game, and I love many of the films that it takes inspiration from, and I immediately wanted to do The Running Man purely because, as you will hear next week, I don't think that film gets enough recognition and love when so many other films that have very similar themes to it often get in the conversation and The Running Man gets overlooked. We will also be being joined by the one and only Shafi, and if you're at all familiar with Action Twitter, you will know that name. He is a fellow Englishman, and uh, it was very nice to record with someone who's actually in my time zone, and it turns out uh, not too far away from me geographically, so that was uh, an interesting discovery. But yes, he is the host of Who Dropped the Popcorn, and I am very much looked forward to our chat. I enjoyed it, so I hope you guys will too, so be sure to tune in next week to hear me and Shafi wax lyrical about The Running Man. But until then, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you again, as always, for getting into the action on the Action Addicts podcast, and I will see you next week. On the action.